Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. This episode is mostly a republish of our original two episodes where we discussed Soundgarden. We're republishing this episode, or these episodes remastered, due to the fact that this is just the unfortunate fourth year anniversary, just past, a few days past, the fourth year anniversary of the passing of Chris Cornell. If you haven't heard this episode before or would like to revisit it, most of this content was from the original interviews with Oscar. However, if you have listened to the episode, feel free to jump about 45 minutes ahead. I've included some new material at the end that covers Chris Cornell's career in much more detail, speaks to him more as an artist, and talks about his post-Soundgarden career as well. So I hope you enjoy the episode, revisiting it or discovering it for the first time. There's a lot of really good music here. Reach out to us if you'd like to request a topic to be covered. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at needssomeintroduction at gmail.com. If you haven't uh, started listening to our Mayor of Easttown recap show, it's not too late to get caught up. Big happenings happened this week. You probably saw it in the news. Went a little viral, the show did. And I hope if you do start watching, you listen to our recap show as well. It's in the same feed, so make sure to follow or subscribe, and you'll get notifications when new episodes are available. So let's get back into the episode, and like I mentioned, stay tuned towards the end. There's a whole lot of new content there as well. I'll give you a little background, my experience with Soundgarden uh, and, uh, and kind of a little bit of their history simultaneously. But uh, like I saw, like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Maxwell's in Hoboken, yeah. but uh, there used to be like a, a bar, a restaurant. And with that played uh, was a bar in the back. And over time it became, uh, you know, it was just kind of a, a bar where people played, but it became like a place like uh, Sonic Youth lived in Hoboken and they uh, would play there all the time, and they were really good friends with Di- Dinosaur Jr., and Dinosaur Jr. would come play with them there, but everyone played there, like Nirvana played there eventually, when the whole uh, Helmet played there, I don't know if you know Helmet, but like, uh, it became like a big thing for New York, Helmet was New York band, but like a lot of the, uh, you know, the grunge bands played through there, so that was like, you know, I'm like a teenager at that time, so, you know, I saw like um, uh, them play uh, at, the, right, right, play there right before they got their record contract their major record uh, major uh record deal and they actually got on a major la- label before nirvana did which is funny they this was it, they already had this like nirvana got signed to geffen and they got their they were putting out their second major label record uh which um turned into turned out to be a big hit for them not their biggest but one of their bigger hits but it was kind of completely obliterated because they were like oh wow this seattle band is going to have a platinum record like that's a big deal Mm -hmm. and then of course like three months later um uh, both pearl jam's album and nirvana's nevermind came out and those records became like the biggest records of the decade so like no one even remembered that like the soundgarden album came out um uh you know just shortly before although that specific album which we'll get into here is probably for my money their best album and um and better than like the Pearl Jam album, maybe not better than Nevermind, but better than the, the Pearl Jam record. But uh, anyway, so with that, I'll give you a little background on uh, Seattle and the whole grunge sure. thing. So I don't know how much you know about that. But of course, Nirvana came from there, Pearl Jam. There's a whole bunch of other bands as well. But um, Sub Pop, I, uh, interestingly enough, one of the guys who um, uh, 
was uh, um, the, ba- the 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 the, guitar- the eventual bass player for um, uh, Soundgarden actually moved uh, from I think it was Chicago to Seattle, and one of his friends moved with him, and that guy ended up becoming the founder of Sub Pop, which was incredibly influential because obviously they had Nirvana on their label, they had Soundgarden on the label, they had Mudhoney and a bunch of other bands as well. So they really established the whole grunge movement, and then Sub Pop continued beyond some. Uh, you know, the, the Shins are on there, Band of Horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Postal Service. So they've had like hugely successful records. Uh, you know, they, they really moved past grunge pretty early on, but they really established grunge. Like every single um, record uh, that they put out was grunge at one point. And this is, I think you'd be interested in this from an entrepreneurial standpoint. The founder of the label really almost reverse engineered the label. They first, he first of all believed that every important musical movement was geographically based. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to like kind of go to Seattle find all these bands and like kind of have like one vision for them all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it worked like they really, they broke through in like a huge way. Like he took all these unknown bands and they really just started a movement and it changed music, which is kind of amazing, mm-hmm. even though he moved beyond it, but it still was a, a movement at the time. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. And, uh, that's so that's pop and yeah, it was, I actually, it's actually a really interesting story. And like maybe in the show notes, I'll include like a book, uh, like a, basically a biography of the whole Seattle movement mm-hmm. and sub pop, et cetera. It's actually really, uh, very fascinating the way he he built that up, and uh, so he was very tightly coupled to Soundgarden. One of the fam- members was like at one point they were actually roommates. The the bass player and him uh, they had moved together and lived together for a short period mm-hmm. of time. And I think that Chris Cornell, the lead singer of uh, Soundgarden, I think his wife, eventual wife, girlfriend at the time was also you know in that group of mm-hmm. people. So they were very very uh, close together and th- via those relationships. They formed Soundgarden. They were like in another band earlier. And then uh, actually uh, Sub Pop, uh, they were touring um, and uh, they had put a couple of tracks together, uh, which are the first two songs you can listen to off that playlist. We'll, we'll cut to it in just a minute. Uh, he, he basically, they put a sampler together and he basically went out of pocket for a very low cost sampler to have multiple bands on there. And then they were touring with that sampler and someone basically heard Soundgarden and said, these guys, we have to put out some music from these people. So they made a, uh, a double A side single mm-hmm which he paid uh, Sub Pop $20,000 to print that label. And that is the founding $20,000 of Sub Pop. So wow. that's like kind of, kind of takes it to the, to, to the, to the root. So let's get into the playlist and uh, you can start playing sure. along. If you want to start with uh, uh, the very first track, uh, this All Your Lies. So this first track is really from the first, uh, from the Sub Pop sampler. So this is like the very first thing they recorded. Mm-hmm. It's a little rough. But uh, uh, give it a try. See how you what you think of it. We listen to it for about a minute sure. or so. I'm liking it so far. So what do you think right there? Like, so, so this, first of all, this is like, you're going to hear, like, you know, it, I, I'm always fascinated by this when someone kind of like kind of hits their sound almost instantaneously yeah. and really like discovers that. And, you know, there's definitely certain artists that kind of find their way, 
But like, you know, this is almost like it's interesting that this is like one, like the very first thing they recorded, because you're going to see even when they get much more popular and much more well-produced, obviously, that, they, you know, there's still elements of this in there. But uh, but how do you feel about about that right so now? So I'll tell you, I know because I, I can tell, I remember what I liked and what I didn't like. Uh, I think he, even though it's overdriven, I can still hear those pretty high sounds, right? Yeah. Um, and th- that would have been a little, a little off-putting to me. However, however, now in in the, where I am now, I I, I definitely appreciate it, and um, and I I, uh, I mean I would I would continue listening. In fact, I wanted to continue listening. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I interrupted you. So I, I want to give you a little background, really quickly, before we get yeah. deeper into it. A little background on the whole like kind of grunge sound. So mm-hmm. on that same playlist, if you scroll towards the bottom, I have some. Uh, uh, I want you to hear that. So uh, MC5, which you should definitely get into, but listen to Kick Out the Jams. So this is from like the early 70s. And mm-hmm. this is kind of like uh, almost pre-punk at this point, right? And this, mm-hmm. even more than punk music, although punk music is definitely an influence on grunge, but mm-hmm. like um, this pre-punk movement, like this garage rock, where oftentimes, and this is kind of how these rec- these songs were recorded too, the grunge type sound, where you almost recorded the whole thing live, right? And you mm-hmm. just turned everything up so that you could kind of like hide the fact that the production was so bad, but mm-hmm. they kind of liked that sound. It became like kind of like the sound of that right. movement. But check out the uh, kick out the jams and tell me what what you think of this. And think about you know, we're talking forty years ago. So check out this out and tell me what you think of it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's putting it into perspective. By right. the way, right? Yeah. Actually, more than forty. I like this a lot, by the way. I think it. Yeah, I could see. I one for the time frame. I can see how this is innovative. Two, I love the structure. Um, I love how it just like goes in hard. I, I can, I can, um, it has a groove to it. I, I really like this. I really like this. And, and it, it's, it, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, finish what you're saying. Yeah, go ahead. And it, it, even, even his, even his voice, just like it, it all, it's all aligning to, to that, to the feel of the music. Right. Right. It's, it, yeah. I, I'm, I like that a lot. So two things, you know, like obviously like the, there are two points. One is the aggressiveness of it, especially in that yep. time period. You can tell that that's really like you foundational to uh, punk music, right? And we could have a whole other mm-hmm. podcast about that because I want you to hear like Iggy Pop and stuff like that as well. But it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's that's foundational to punk rock. But beyond that, the thing I wanted to point out with MC5 is the fuzz, the fuzz of the guitar. Yep. That is so huge. That is like the sound of that early Seattle. Like when you hear the, early, if you know Nirvana, you know, especially before they had the, the, their major label records, but you hear those early Nirvana songs, like that fuzz is is the sound of the of Seattle, basically, you know, right. early on. And another huge influence for uh, that whole thing is Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix from Seattle, right? Mm. Uh, and of course, all these guys uh, idolized, you know, Hendrix. So check mm. out Voodoo Child right above Kick Out the Jams. Mm. 
You, you, could, you could pause that now. Yeah. And we didn't even get him to his vocals yet, but you can kind of, for, so first of all, you can just see that, you know, the influence. Once again, it's the, it's the fuzz of the guitar, actually. Right. Like the, you know, Hendrix, obviously, you can already see there. First of all, very bluesy and very, mm. uh, you know, very, um, uh, you know, a virtuoso on guitar, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, which is not really a staple of, although Soundgarden, you'll see in some of these songs, the, the guitarist is very, very, you know, very, you know, he's pretty acrobatic once you get past those early singles where they're just 100% fuzz. So eventually they became pretty uh, proficient on the guitar, but never really sounded to me like very influenced by uh, Hendrix as far as that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, 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 the blues and the proficiency of the, the playing, but definitely mm-hmm. like just like that fuzz. And not only that, right. Hendrix, very psychedelic. You'll see that not early on uh, with Soundgarden, but over time, very influenced by psych- psychedelic rock. They became more psychedelic over, over time. Uh, right. So, um, uh, but and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll tell you like that fuzz. By the way, is so it's so we, you're. It, I love how you said that it changes music. Like the Seattle scene changes music because that was something that as a band in our early days uh, we tried to pursue. Like we at one point, I think we were. I was. Uh, I think sixteen, seventeen, um, and and uh, I got a really nice amp, a Line Six, right. Um, and the the good thing and the bad thing about a line six is that it has the ability to be very clean, a little too clean. Even the overdrive was was clean. Right. And um, we had to figure out ways to bring the fuzz out because all the music we were listening to and that we really liked had that fuzz, that right. kind of like lo fi quality right. to it. So we, we had to almost in post uh, add a little fuzziness to our songs because we wanted to to sound. But I didn't realize that that was like, like, and it's so funny. These are like those decisions to put out something that really sets a trend, right? Like kick out the jam, yep. set a trend that, look at that. Like 20 years later, uh, me as a young kid, I was trying to replicate, right? right? That, that's pretty crazy and, and this is and this is something that more broadly so i i love i love well i love music because i just love the way it makes me feel right but i mm-hmm. love um the uh, i love the uh, like kind of pursuit of uh deep pursuit of anything music movies etc because i feel yeah. like through that one thing you see like all of history repeating itself through that one pattern and to your right. point uh exactly it's like you have these people these artists that at the time had a certain you know analog fuzzy whatever like you know and at the time like you literally will hear reviews of people here listening to this music in the 70s saying like this sounds like crap it's so muddy and and terrible right. sounding right and then of course everybody over time wants to move away from that sound they don't want to sound so muddy so when you think about seattle's movement um you know you're looking at like in the 80s etc you have you know whether it's um you know poison and uh, all, all of hair metal right so Hair metal, mm-hmm. some hair metal, early hair metal, 
is actually, you know, Motley Crue has some, actually some pretty good songs. They're almost like a punk rock band at the beginning of their, mm-hmm. where they're at. But by the mid eighties, like, you know, it's so polished, it's so shiny, it's so fake, it's so manufactured. And they're like, songs are being written, uh, not just them, but other artists as well. All, the whole genre is so uh, produced. It's basically becomes like an extension of pop music. As a matter of fact, pop um, um, writers are writing their music for them, right? right? And everything gets so polished, it gets so clean. Uh, and so then people will say like, oh, I love that fuzzy sound from, you right. know, and now, like you said, you're trying to basically take like new technology and create like an <laughs> old school sound uh, because right. it's always just a backlash against whatever's currently happening, right? So that's what happens. Like you have the current thing, the, those limitations, everybody tries to move in the opposite direction, like so that they get more and more and more polished. Then it becomes more and more and more like kind of rote and manufactured. And then everybody goes like, let's do that other thing again. <laughs> <laughs> and then you like rediscover history over and over and over again. And, uh, right. and I think it happens in music, but it happens with everything. It's just, it happens with fashion. It happens with whatever. And uh, right. it's just, it's, it, so I find that very, like a very interesting part of, uh, of just, uh, you know, per- pursuing it in, in general. I want to introduce you to one more uh, and you definitely should get into these guys. Cause I think this would be way up your alley, mm-hmm. but one last influence before we get deeper into their um, uh, discography, I want you to listen to black Sabbath. Uh, mm-hmm. I got a couple of songs here for you, but let's listen to War Pigs and go. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? Start at the beginning and then like listen to it for about 30 seconds and then cut to about uh, five minutes in and then uh, see where you're at. All right. Let me see. By the way, this is like 1970, 71, I think, by the way, just so you have context. True, true. Is that a siren? Yeah. In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord,
That actually sounds like it could be from Seattle. Exactly. This whole, this is what I wanted you to kind of hear. It's just this, this, uh, and there's other even better examples of that, but it's, uh, the Mm. speed of, um, uh, like that's why I'm surprised you don't know more about Sabbath in general, because like the speeding up of metal is really, uh, Sabbath really has a lot to do with that, you know? But what I do want to hear, have you listen to, um, hands all over hands all over was like basically this song where like, this was the song that they put out. And when people heard this, they're like, these guys are going to be huge. So you can kind of see where they were going even at this early. Is this one you, you got introduced to them? I got introduced to them with the Hunted Down and Nothing to Say. That is still, and that's actually maybe my favorite sound for them. But it's still very much in that wheelhouse of this, you know, early sub pop sound. But uh, "Hands All Over" was basically a thing that when people heard that, like you know, major labels started saying, like, we we're gonna turn these guys into stars. Uh, but they had an interesting path even there. They never played generically, and we can do, fo- you know, like in the next conversation, we can talk about where they went to when they got more popular. But let's listen mm-hmm. to "Hands All Over," and then we can wrap up yeah, for this session. I get it already. Yeah. Reminds me a little of uh, Rage Against the Machine, a little. Yeah, before that, but yeah. Like as soon as I heard the right, like it, it was, it was, uh, it, it kind of invites that that feeling of awe immediately. Right, like like something big is happening. Right. something is right. Something's coming. They, they're still true to their early sound. Like you know, you'll hear the earlier songs, and it's still like the same type of song structure. But now, like you said, it's huge now, right? It's huge, and everybody, anybody right. hearing this is like, okay, it doesn't sound like what like we're used to hearing on the radio. But this guy's going to fill a stadium, right? Like you said, right? right. So it's, uh, and, uh, you know, and it's like, uh, and, and as a matter of fact, they were already influential, right? Like they were very good friends with, uh, uh, with Nirvana. Uh, what do you call it? They toured with Guns N' Roses. Uh, and, got, and like he was Guns N' Roses. Uh, he was uh, Axl Rose's favorite vocalist, right? So like huge influence. Mm-hmm. Even in their day, they were very influential, right? I have a, a couple of things that I, I really liked about the homework that you made me do, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that I really liked about the this going through this or the the what made me really appreciate Soundgarden above anything else 
was how far ahead of their time they were and how what they wrote must have must have inspired a whole generation of bands and I know that and I don't know and this is more of a question to you because I, I know that when I hear grunge or I hear alternative I hear about Nirvana like smashing pumpkins to some degree right um, but this is different this is a mm-hmm. lot heavier this is is this still called a considered alternative I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, they, they came out, you know, they, they get lumped in with alternative, but I agree with what you're going to say right. is that, you know, they're almost metal, right? Or, or they're more metal, right? But I'd say that they're a, like a uh, liberated <laughs> metal band because like they get to, uh, right. they get to thrash as much as they want, right? But then, uh, but they don't have to be Metallica, right? Metallica couldn't, I mean, not at the time anyway, Metallica couldn't get away right. with doing something more melodic, right? They couldn't get away with it. Um, uh, the guitars could be melodic in Metallica, right. by the way, right? But you can't sing melodic, right? Um, and you couldn't like be, uh, you know, uh, and you couldn't be like as bluesy. Metallica did get bluesier actually over time. But at the time, right. they, they had to be all thrash. They weren't allowed to be bluesy. They weren't allowed to do anything else. And I think that's kind of what uh, Soundgarden kind of maybe like to your point, uh, right. kind of... Um, allowed in the next generation of bands which is that like they could be like we are in the same song we are going to be like we're going to play a blues riff and we're going to be like playing like a double (laughs) double uh for pedal uh drumming right like you're gonna have like a death metal drums (laughs) and a blues line and who cares we'll do whatever we want right and uh and and they were kind of liberated i think because they came out natively out of this uh this um scene in seattle which went you know it went punky it went noisy. It went, you know, Nirvana could be uh, punky. They could also be like almost like um, uh, Beatles-esque in some ways, right? So they had, they could be more twee, like they could be more uh, kind of like uh, right. what you consider alternative, right? Um, in that general, and like, uh, so Soundgarden kind of was allowed to do some of that because they came right. from the same uh, background, but they were metal. Right. They, they, they were metal, you know? So it's like, so, so they, uh, and like you said, they got to like hang out with these folks because they were like saying like, oh, they're not metal. They're with us, you know, but that, I just felt they were always a metal band from the start. Right. And I think that's kind of maybe that's what you're hinting at, that yeah. that was kind of what they uh, um, enabled in the next generation is like this kind of like, hey, we'll do what we want. Right. Like we can, um, uh, you know, mix right. genres and together. Like, Who cares? And, right. And mo- more, more, uh, I think more than anything, it's the and I, I love the term liberated, liberated metal. Um, because I, the what genre I think that they inspired was what was later called new metal, right? Like the Godsmacks and yeah. um, you know even Disturbed to some degree. Like the start of uh, Jesus Christ Pose, in particular. Like I love how they inspired new metal, or I'm sure they inspired new metal because bands like Godsmack and um, you know Pod, even to some degree Disturbed, have a lot of elements that. I hear in this music only it came out what 10 years earlier like all your lies 1988 was the release date and it sounds like and it could inspire like right. yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell whether this was uh it, like at the same release at the same time as like maybe um you know the early 2000s late 90s uh a disturbed song right like I I would say wow these these guys right. could be contemporaries right it's so funny that you're making these analogies, by the way, because I like hate almost all the bands you're mentioning. But it's 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 interesting that you bring them up because I do think with uh, Soundgarden, I think to myself, how easy for, was it for me to make this playlist? Very easy, very easy to make the playlist. I could easily throw together 20, 25 songs I really liked theirs. 
I, do I put them in the pantheon? I don't think so. I don't think so because I feel like the long-term legacy, like the current musical climate today is not that influenced by them today at this right. moment. Uh, and the people who are influenced by them, like you said, is definitely like that early 2000s. And all that stuff, I feel like it, they took what was great about Soundgarden and they <laughs> diluted it into whatever, right? And oh, <laughs> and over time, right. it just became less and less potent, right? It became such a, you know, and uh, and like I said, I kind of like it, it, and maybe I could be wrong, but maybe in, you know, 20 years where there's some distance, people will say like, oh, sound like, like here's black sabbath and sound garden right and they put them in one giant mix and they go these right. are, these both are like forefathers right so maybe that'll happen someday but right. i don't think that that's the case right now and i and i maybe right, they don't the way, stand the test know, of time yeah. but they definitely got a formula down right. that made that type of rock so mainstream right um you, you know yep. like yep it, it, these even though they're not like disturbed like <laughs> like to some degree like you know, people yeah, like right. this there. Oh yeah, right and corn, right <laughs> and corn. And, corn and, is horrible. Um, but uh, <laughs> but and they were as close to mainstream as you could be, or they were mainstream, right? And 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 they the only oh, yeah, way they could have been able to enter the the mainstream was by some sort of entry point or uh, precedence or a formula that I think that Soundgarden made it possible for all these other bands to be inspired and say all right this is this is a sound that could actually make it right i was just listening to uh system of a down today um and they obviously right. are uh influenced by metallica right. and, and all these other things right but i couldn't help and maybe it's just because of my proximity to putting this playlist together i couldn't help but right. see Soundgarden in them as well because you know where you know uh, uh, chris cornell uh even when he went solo and he like did a lot of acoustic type music when he was older uh, that uh, he was known for these like big, like basically mm -hmm. time signature shifts in his music, right? The way he wrote, wrote his songs. And uh, it's like, it's more subtle in uh, Soundgarden because he's still trying to make it sound right. like flow. And like System of the Down is like, we're just going to go from first right. gear to fifth and then back to first again. Like they don't care, right? Makes you high, makes you high. To watch your spirit fully drawn from the time you were a psycho, cocaine, cocaine, crazy. So you want to see, uh, but I couldn't help but like notice that it's just like, well, you know, like in a you know, sound guard is more subtle about it, but they're not necessarily doing dissimilar things. Right? Um, one thing that, that right? I do have to really tell you, and and it's because it's done so well, and it's funny because I, when you said that he was a, a high high-pitched singer i was like oh man i'm not gonna like this um but i love and only right. in bad motor finger and or and be, be, below uh i love uh chris cornell's voice like he has a bluesiness to his voice right i don't know what to call it it's definitely not traditional rock um that he he does like a lot of uh, some chromatics some um some uh like runs like you would like like vocal runs um, yep. That wasn't really common. So uh, a few things I want you to listen to, but check out that first like minute or so of um, uh, of Jesus Christ pose, which is probably the best part of the song. But basically, until Chris Cornell 
like um oh yeah i love his singing in jesus christ pose is probably my favorite song on this entire uh think that that song is not believe it or not as much as mm-hmm. i like it it's not a complete success i think like i said they were right. overreaching a little bit they were trying a little too hard but but i love that like the layering yeah. of one thing over the other after the other at the beginning i'm just like holy cow like this is incredible right uh and the second thing is you're going to hear this a lot when you get to sonic youth and uh it's funny because like i told you before that my biggest thing with music i just like the way it feels so i don't care about the genre or whatever else i just want to feel something when i when i hear the music and uh there's something about that sound that when there's that moment towards the end, right before he starts singing, where the bass line comes in underneath. I don't know if it's the bass line or the rhythm guitar. Honestly, I'm not musically smart enough to figure this out. But uh, it's like that, you know, when the that that chugga 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 is already going, and then there's like that. You hear that thing under right. like that. But what's that's that? What's, what's that, that thing coming in? That 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 yeah. that kind of dr- the bass. It is the bass, right? Anyway, the reason I bring that up specifically is that bass. Um, and and you're you're gonna hear a lot of this. Uh, not specifically that, but um that tone uh with uh sonic youth right uh sonic youth is uh you know uh, i'm not going to digress on that because there's a much deeper dive on that but they have uh you know they were trying to create a noise scape they didn't care about playing proficiently although thurston moore is an incredible guitar player but uh they just created this like wall of noise right and uh there was like rhythms that would emerge from it and my i love the sound of um um kim gordon who's their bass player uh, she was married to, to Thurston Moore. Uh, but anyway, the bass, like this, that kind of drone that kind of like goes under, it's like, there's just a kind of this, this yep. like ominous mood that it creates. And it, it, I love it. I just love that sound. I love it, right? And oh, you, you hear a lot of it. That you in, don't uh, like the song even more if you like that so much. Oh, I do. You know what? I do, but it's like in a way, it's like I almost oh. feel like they're trying to do Sonic Youth <laughs> in that little bit, um, you know. Uh, and you know, they're trying to do it like on this like very glossy, you know. So I mean, it's me being a snob, right? But but it's uh, but but anyway, I, I I do appreciate it a lot. And like I said, I I'm calling your attention to it, so obviously, right. I, I appreciate. It. Okay, the other thing I wanted you to give a shot to, <laughs> just because uh, this is off the this is off down the upside that album that came after super unknown uh with the one that most people panned actually although i think it's pretty decent but i want to call your attention to it because it's like they try to be funny every <laughs> once in a while and they're really not good at being funny but they, they are funny this is mm-hmm. a funny song it's called Tide cob what you gotta hear is the last minute because it's so great like the guitar player goes crazy like basically there's a giant like metal guitar solo on a banjo <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> so so basically was, when what year did this come out 19 i wonder what year is that um down on the upside i have it right here oh here to find it 
Oh, uh, but but before, uh, uh, um, oh, so uh, the two things that we need to check out is okay. go to the last minute of that song and not only check out the banjo thing, but check out how amazing the drumming is. <laughs> and it's too bad because it's just the very, very end of the song. It's like, well, like I said, once again, it's a joke. You'll hear it that it's uh, you know not to be taken seriously, but the drumming is incredible, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Isn't that awesome though? It's like a lot, you know. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only reason why I asked about the ninety-six, yeah, ninety-six. Was, by the uh, way, it, it just seems so. So uh, again, I, I just can't. I, I'm surprised I didn't hear them. But but just to call that directly to Ty Cobb, just because I wanted to go back to that just for a second. But it's like uh, what I love about it is that you know that is it's like right. a three minute song. It's a total bullshit song, right? It's like there's nothing there's nothing about it at all. Just uh, you know they're just jamming. But it's like I love that like you know the, the not only that you know like they basically go, go he's going right. ape shit on that banjo, which is incredible, right? But the thing even more right. impressive to me is the friggin' drums, yeah. man. Like that brr, 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 brr. like how fast is he drumming? It's and, like and the, and it's and I love it. yeah. It's, <laughs> It's supposed to be a joke, right? Yeah, but it sounds so good. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, yeah. Could could you imagine? What's so funny about it is, could you imagine someone like you know didn't take that as a joke and like there was like a whole genre like someone played like that all the time? <laughs> Can you imagine how bananas that? Would, how insane that would be? I if wonder. That was like a band's are there actual any sound, metal but... bands with uh, banjos and and like double bass? <laughs> yeah. Oh god, yeah. it would be crazy. Can you imagine how funny that would be? All right, but then to slow to right. slow things down, just take it in a different direction. Uh, so first of all, uh, uh, Cornell uh, mm -hmm. kind of always wanted to be a balladeer, believe it or not. And uh, you can play, uh, just start playing Seasons. This is a, uh, this is it, from 1992. Is Seasons, and it was a single that got put on an album called Singles. And this was at the very heat, at, uh, peak of, um, you know, the whole um, mm -hmm. the movie Singles that the soundtrack is from is, uh, you know, basically a romantic comedy that takes place in Seattle during the whole grunge outbreak. And he and Chris Cornell is actually in it, like has a small role in it. Um, it's from the I guy who did Jerry Maguire, so it was a big movie. <laughs> the grunge outbreak. <laughs> yeah, the, an outbreak, an outbreak. And uh, the, uh, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so it's okay. interesting that this is like the first solo thing he ever did. And he put it on that soundtrack. The soundtrack is hugely successful, sold like millions of copies. Uh, but uh, uh, very not Soundgarden. Uh, so you get a feel for, for where he was when he was by himself, basically. Very different, very different, but I, I yeah, and I, I, I it's more, um, it, it also, I, it's it, yeah, like it's definitely 92, you said 92 it feels yeah. a little more like 
like the the the, well, the ninety two like that that um still it seems pretty modern but um you know I could see that being like I could see him working with uh Kirk Cobain right like could... well even more specific is uh, uh there's a track on their Temple of the Dog that and he mm-hmm. uh, that was in, from nineteen ninety one and that's him and uh, the lead singer it's him with Nirvana? the guitar player from um no it's the guitar player from uh it might be mother love bone but the other vocalist it's him eddie vetter that's from uh, pearl jam uh vocalize yeah singing together and it's a very famous song this the, the hunger strike song was a huge hit it was actually at the time um it came out before pearl jam's record so you know pearl jam hadn't blown up yet uh and it also came out after Bad Motorfinger, but before uh, Soundgarden exploded too. So like in a lot of ways, people knew them from that song more so than from their own. I mean, it was all happening at once. Right? It was all happening within months of each other. So, but uh, that is uh, that's a very famous song, actually. So you you may have actually heard that. One, one thing that well. I love: these yeah. bands were very prolific, right? Like making, con- like creating um, music and um, and and really setting the scene up in like a span of like like almost everything six years, right? Six seven years that was like really active in the scene, right? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I was reading a Rolling Stone article as kind of background for this. And it had like the 50 best albums, uh, 50 best uh, grunge albums, right? And uh, it's funny because they include like Iggy Pop from yeah. like uh, 1969. <laughs> they include it on there. Uh, and uh, so they, you know, they have like a, you know, one album from 1969. They have like another punk album from like 1970 something. Then they have like the first real Seattle uh, record uh, uh, from like 1980. And then it's like 1984, you know, uh, Soundgarden drops their first uh, EP. And then a couple of years later, you have like Nirvana and then it's like, like you were saying, it's like, you know, 84, then 86, then like between like 88 right. and like 95, there's like 40 records. <laughs> it's like six a year that make the list of like the best. So it happened, like you said, like in a really, really concentrated uh, amount of time. Like there's like, uh, you know, and, and there's this feedback loop, right? These, they're performing together. They're writing for each other. They're touring together. And it's just giant like family that's right. all, um, you know, right, sharing right, DNA, right. right? So it's pretty amazing. Telling me something more yeah, about human yeah. behavior, and it goes back to the idea that the guy from Sub Pop sort of uh, figured out. And and I I thought about this about fashion. Like fashion is very localized, right? Um, you know, it's right. now less so with the internet and you know how connected we all are. But uh, at one time, people knew who where you were from by how you dress. Like, are you from Paris? Are you from London? Are you from yep. Germany? Like Berlin, right? um each each time and even like are you from japan right each side would have their own very specific style um that grows organically and and sort of you know almost say what there's an outbreak (laughs) an outbreak but the same thing happens with the music scene right and um and uh, the same thing happens with technology Mm -hmm. and what i think happens is that when someone finds and there's like this this buzz around something like everyone sort of works, everyone who's in it works together to really um, put up as much value as they can. And then eventually it dies down like all things. But for that, that brief second, you have an impact. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of the last time that something like that really big happened. It, it probably, you know, and I'm not, unfortunately not as well versed in this, but 
um, like it probably happened with some of the the movements in rap, mm-hmm. right? Where you had the New York scene, and then you had like the West Coast scene, obviously with the uh, you know uh, out of Los Angeles, and then you had like Atlanta blew up and stuff, and and like it's I'm surprised it doesn't happen more now right. because you know everybody's so interconnected. But I think what happens is it does happen now all the time, but it happens like on the internet. So it's kind of these things where it's like it's not uncommon at all to have like a pop star and a rapper and a a, a rock and roller and even a country artist sometimes like kind of like all oh, collaborating on some track. Yeah. Right. So it happens more frequently in some ways, but it doesn't have this, like you were saying, it doesn't have this like, uh, like, uh, what's once again, what, what's his name? The guy from uh, sub, uh, um, sub pop understood in some way that it's like when it's geographically focused, it's more intense, right? Because these people have this common background. They all know the same people. They right. all hang out with the same people. They play together, right? And it becomes really, really intense as opposed to this kind of very, very diffuse, you know, kind of everybody now, everybody's like, oh, I like I like right. all kinds of music. I like, which is great. I, I actually like all kinds of music too. But I kind of feel like you don't have these kind of like all of a sudden like an eruption of like, what right. is that? And it just takes over the whole music scene, right? It, you don't kind of see that happening. Yeah, and, and I, I think I don't see it happening for a while with until we figure ourselves out and be able to, well, definitely not with COVID, right? <laughs> maybe it will happen. Maybe there'll be like a, you know, maybe after COVID, everyone's going to like go out to the clubs yeah. and stuff like that and something really exciting right. will happen. I and hope, I think I that that's where people like that. sort of do their best, right? When they're like in a, in a, a very stimulating environment, pushing them to create more in that same style that everyone is sort of aligned with, right? And uh, it hasn't been, ha- ha- hasn't been heard before. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I think, and I hope, that that happens again so um do you uh do you have any last words and uh do i have any last sound words? no i just say? think that i'm truly impressed by the band honestly um i think that they were part of something that, that even if it like we were talking doesn't have longevity definitely left an impact and um and uh i i do believe that it inspired a lot of the music that i listened to growing up yeah, and, and honestly, digging into it, I kind of realized, wow, like these guys were really important to the sub pop thing, and they were like kind of connected to all these other things that were happening. So it kind of made me me appreciate them more, uh, even uh, in retrospect. So, uh, so I guess we both got something out of it, which is, I guess, the point of all this. <laughs> So that was our conversation with Oscar, more specifically talking about Soundgarden itself. But when you consider that Chris Cornell was the main songwriter and orchestrator of the band, their sound, their style, their influence is primarily his influence. We kind of dodged their biggest album because Oscar wasn't a big fan of uh, Super Unknown, their biggest hit album. And also because it's not my favorite of theirs. I actually do prefer Bad Motorfinger and their earlier music. But I do want to draw attention to that album, which is so popular and so influential and mostly influential for the fact that you see them blending a surf influence, California sound, as well as heavy metal. Sometimes very heavy.
along with that psychedelic influence they have. And you see these different threads very clearly on different songs. And not only were they able to defy their own sound in a lot of ways and not sound like what was coming, just the grunge sound in general, like Oscar kind of hinted at, this album not only potentially influenced artists that came after, it minimally set a template in the music industry that allowed metal to be more avant-garde, less rigid in what influences could be included. So not rap, which they never had a rap influence, but the ability of blending something like California psychedelic rock, California surf culture, and that's still having that roots in grunge. And of course, metal going all the way back to the heavy blues of Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath. And that wasn't common at the time, although it probably became more common afterwards. So very influential in that way. Beyond that, I was never a huge fan of Audio Slave. However, he did have a very successful career, two or three very big albums with Audio Slave. And he also had a pretty successful solo career. He had a Grammy nomination. I believe he won a Grammy for his very first album. There's other songs here that have become somewhat iconic. His Billie Jean cover, very influential on rock and roll covers now. And I would draw everyone's attention to Firstly, 
an album called Chris Cornell, which was the first posthumous release that he had. And I believe it's a four disc set. And I highly recommend this. The first disc covers almost everything that I consider to be truly important in their Soundgarden catalog. It goes all the way back to their Sub Pop singles, all the way through Down on the Upside. And that's disc one. Disc two covers Audio Slave. It covers the James Bond theme song that he did. It includes the Billie Jean cover. And then I believe disc three includes a lot of the, you know, he has some of his solo songs on there. He has live performances on that third and fourth disc. It has uh, collaborations that he did, performing on other people's tracks, working with rockers like Slash and others. So he collaborated with a lot of folks. He put out a lot of content. It's not all great, but there are diamonds in the rough in all of that collection. The last thing I'd mention is that you also have an album that came out just this Christmas, this past Christmas of his, called Nobody Sings Like You Anymore, which is all covers. Some of these songs have been pretty popular. Uh, his cover of Patience by Guns N' Roses is pretty strong. And then so, uh, covers that are not that great, in my opinion, but if you're a true completist, you'll probably enjoy them. Uh, but they are interesting. I, I think they're interesting given other topics that we've covered here. For example, he covers Jump in the Fire by Harry Nilsson. And we have a Harry Nilsson episode, so please track down that episode. And he covers Nothing Compares to You by Prince, uh, which, of course, we've just recently had a couple of episodes covering Prince's long career as well. Unfortunately, once again, we have another tragic death. You know, Nilsson and Cornell and Prince all died in their 50s when they were all still relatively productive. Maybe not so much Nilsson, although he was working on a new album when he passed away. So unfortunately, this is uh, sad that, you know, we have another one of these sad stories. And it just goes to show that even when you're successful, we all deal with these issues that aren't easy to overcome, whether that is addiction or depression. So, so just hopefully that just means that if you are going through something, just remember you're not alone, but always remember that there are people out there who care about you. I'd like to cover some ground musically in the future. That's where people have had less tragic outcomes. Maybe Neil Young, maybe Beck, just two artists that have had very long, illustrious, successful careers. Elvis Costello, another example who are still successful, still putting out music today, still putting out some very good music even now. Once again, uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, it, the address, the email address is needssomeintroduction at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us or subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now. And you'll get notified when we have new episodes. We're still watching along with Mayor of Easttown. Those episodes have been very successful. It's not too late to catch up. The show's gotten a little bit viral this past week. I won't say why, but it is definitely worth watching. It's gotten better. If you watched the first episode and dropped out, I almost did. But uh, it's gotten much better, and I definitely recommend it. And there's only two episodes to go. So there'll be more of those episodes to come. And make sure you're following along if you aren't already. So I can't wait to talk to you again, and I'd love to have you talk to me too. So feel free to send me a voice memo if you'd like, or just an email, even that. Until next time, make sure you get a vaccination if you haven't already, or encourage someone else to as well. So we'll all have better days in the future. 
提升。